0: When we think about gun violence, we look to our neighbors in the United States. From mass shootings, to open carry policy, to states that you can buy a beer and a gun at the same time. But we never think of gun violence in Canada, in fact, we think we're safer, and we are. We are safer than the United States. But that doesn't mean we don't have a gun problem in Canada. Gun problems and gun violence is rising in our country due to crime and poverty. And today, we're going to explore what poverty brings violence and what violence brings to communities of young colored men and women. Let's start the show.
1: Four, three, two, one.
0: we have a gun problem in Canada. Now, it's not the gun problem that's in the United States, but gun violence is rising in Canada, from shootings in Nova Scotia to gang violence in big cities like Toronto, Winnipeg, Calgary, Edmonton, and Vancouver. Now, we don't have the same problem as the United States uh, because our gun laws are more rigid than the United States, especially the Liberal government has tried to ban as much guns as possible, has put more restrictions, Uh, M16s are not available here, some assault rifles are not available here, rounds are not available here, Uh, in order for you to have a handgun is pretty difficult, and in order for you to have a, a hunting gun, it's still a bit difficult, it's not impossible to do it, but it is quite rigid compared to the United States. But gun violence is rising in this country, and we're going to play a couple of clips of some places that have talked about the subject, Montreal and Toronto. Halifax has talked a little bit about the subject, but I couldn't find that much detail, so I want to kind of give a good description. So what we're going to do, we're going to play this clip from The National about how in 2021, uh, gun violence has been increasing in our country. Let's hear it.
2: Yellow tape wrapped around a Toronto neighborhood last week. Marking yet another scene of gun violence. This one taking the life of a 22-year-old man.
3: There appears to be more prevalence of firearms in the city. We are arresting people uh, quite often. I mean, we've seized over 800 guns.
2: Numbers from the Toronto Police Service show more than 700 people have been shot in the last year. And overall, a 16% increase in shooting incidents over the previous year. A trend steadily increasing over the last five years. It's not just Toronto. It's been a record-breaking year for gun violence in Winnipeg where 16 were fatally shot. Calgary too has had a higher than average number of shootings this year. Toronto Councillor Joe Cressy wants Ottawa to step up and help cities get a handle on the problem.
1: Fundamentally, we need stronger gun control, and that means a national ban on handguns, full stop. Not restrictions on where handguns can go, not the ability for cities to restrict handguns, a national ban.
2: Guns flow across the border from the U.S., and there's another steady supply, bought here legally and then sold on the streets. But the founder of the Zero Gun Violence Movement says guns are only part of the problem.
4: We cannot be talking about banning handguns if we're not talking about banning poverty. We cannot be talking about creating more programs if we don't do a needs assessment with the communities involved in it, right? Most of these communities are programmed to death. But they're not the right programs for the right people at the right time and in the right place. This
5: is
2: not just a policing problem. Toronto's Police Association agrees action needs to be taken and fast.
5: The perception is that the gun crime is out of control that the shootings are out of control.
2: And until it's under control, more scenes like this, more yellow tape. Katie Nicholson, CBC News, Toronto.
0: One key factor here is poverty. Poverished neighborhoods are more likely to have more violence than any other sector in Canada. So the more impoverished a neighborhood is, the more violence it might recur because of the lack of resources. This is not happening just in Toronto. This is happening everywhere in Canada, especially in places like Winnipeg, Montreal, and other sectors of the country. We have a problem of guns, not only because people sell it, because there is a market to that, but also because the resources of people and the education of people is not there, especially in low income neighborhoods. If you are poor, you're more likely to be a delinquent than somebody that is in a better position. Now, this only affects and it affects the most indigenous and people of color. This is the people that get more affected because the system is a sign. If you are a newcomer immigrant or you are an indigenous person, you will go to a low income reserve that lacks of resources, or you would go to affordable housing and affordable housing will lack resources in some places here in New Brunswick. Affordable housing is not that bad, but it's not great either. However, most of the crimes in affordable housing units happen there. It happens more than in suburbs. Now, we're going to check something that's happening in Montreal. There was a protest for violence, and this is exactly what happened. This is one of the most impoverished neighborhoods in Montreal, and this is where they killed a young person. Let's hear it.
6: Montrealers gather in a demonstration against gun violence on Saturday. The outcry comes after 16-year-old Thomas Trudel became the city's 31st homicide of the year. The teen was shot dead in Saint-Michel on November 14th as he was walking down the street. Protesters are calling for action.
7: St. Trudeau
8: is our candidate in this uh, rounding. Uh, and he should be in the march. And he should do something Ask his minister to stop um, at the frontier the arms that are coming in the city and the country also.
2: We
6: have to go out and raise our voice to tell uh, this has to finish, or uh, the government have to do something. It's too much violence. You have to say no to, to gun. Just last month, another 16-year-old was fatally stabbed. Janai Dopwell Bailey was struck in the parking lot of Myland High School in Côte-des-Neiges–Notre-Dame-de-Grâce where he attended school. Back in February, 15-year-old Mariam Bundaoui was also killed in a drive-by shooting in Saint-Léonard. Community members, friends, and family marched to pay tribute to the lives lost.
8: Thomas avait une histoire. Janai avait une histoire.
0: avait une histoire. On a tous une histoire.
6: Thomas had a story, Janai had a story, Myriam had a story. We all have a story. No one deserves to see theirs interrupted so brutally and abruptly and absurdly. Parents at the march say they're now afraid for their children.
2: Youths are dying, so what's the future for my own kids? I have an adolescent, I have a daughter of 13 years, I have five kids, so I'm wondering, we are insecure, no way. That's why I'm so scared
6: and I'm so emotional. I used to stay at home, uh, tranquil, without any stress if my my sons are in the street. But now, that's finished. On Thursday, the principal of Joseph-Francois Perrot High School, where Trudel went to school, sent an alarming letter to parents warning children against walking alone at night in the area. According to a 15-year-old student, their classmate's death has affected the entire school. The kids in school, including myself, were afraid to go home because we told ourselves it could have been anyone else in his position. Many politicians making speeches promising immediate action and collaboration with community organizations to end gun violence in the city. In September, Deputy Premier and Minister of Public Safety Geneviève Guilbeault announced the investment of more than $90 million in funding to combat gun trafficking. An announcement on a new prevention-focused initiative in collaboration with the City of Montreal, the federal government and local organizations is set to be announced soon. In Montreal, Brittany Enriquez, City News.
0: To hand this point, if you look at this clip from City News, this was taken out from a video. If you search for the video, you will see that most of these people are immigrants, uh, mostly from Arab descent or anywhere across the Middle East. But they are immigrants living in a low-income housing neighborhood. Uh, Some of that area in Montreal is very impoverished, and it actually has another side that is a little bit better. Uh, But again, these areas and these schools are underfunded and underprepared for any type of violence. And they are victims of gang violence, of people that are in those surrounding neighborhoods looking for a better life. They don't know any better, but they actually do things such as stealing or crime to reach for that better life, even if they don't know that that's not the way. And especially young people. A lot of young people are the ones that start this trend. It is a trend all over the country. It is a trend that happens to anyone and it could happen to anybody. But it happens a lot in impoverished neighborhoods because there is a lot of single mothers, single parents. Uh, There is a lot of underfunding. There is a lack of resources. And when you have a lack of resources and you don't have the education that you may deserve, that is something that will permanent affect you. Again, not everybody. It will not happen to everybody. Some people do get the better education by doing other things and getting extracurricular. And we have the Internet that we have some parents that are actually educating their children through online education after uh, their normal education. So again, this is not a case for everybody, but again, it's something that happens in a lot of impoverished neighborhoods. And where the impoverished neighborhoods are, unfortunately, it goes to people of color. I don't really want to stress too much about this subject because the subjects affect me in a way that emotionally it kind of gets me to a point that I see people that look like me and I have children that if my children grew up in some type of environment, they could be affected by this. My children are brown children and they have already the unluck of being in a country that the system is not adequate for them. They're in a better country than, just say, Somalia or some places in the continent of Africa or Asia or even in Latin America. But still, they can be judged by the color of their skin at any day. And it worries me that either law enforcement or some type of violence can get through them. And it's something that it affects me personally, and to some people that listen to this podcast. So we got to be aware of that this is a big problem. This is a problem that even if we are in a country that is trying to solve it, uh, it's still not trying to solve the poverty issue. And the consequences and the repercussions can be life-changing and it can last a lifetime. What I'm going to do, there is a mini documentary from the CBC about the effects of gun violence in an impoverished neighborhood of Toronto. I'm going to play this clip and listen to it. If you can watch it on YouTube, even better. I think it's a learning curve. And when you hear these people, these are all people of color that are talking and the effects of the gun violence and how it has affected them to even a person that may not even walk uh, the rest of their lives, which is sad to see. This is a young woman and she's trying to uh, walk again and she's doing her best. But again, this has affected her emotionally, mentally, and physically, and it will never go away. Uh, So again, I hope you listen to this. Take care of yourself. Take care of each other. Thank you for everybody that supports us on Patreon and PayPal. And please subscribe anywhere you get your podcast. Peace.
3: I think everybody becomes a different person after it happens. Everybody becomes a little more paranoid. Now I don't I don't walk the same. You know what I mean? I now walk looking at everything. It is different. It does change who you are, you know what I mean? Now a car passing me isn't just a car passing me, it's a gray Honda. You know what I mean? With three people inside.
1: Emmanuel Sawyer was shot randomly in a drive-by because his neighborhood, Lawrence Heights, was in a beef with another hood. He doesn't want to show his face because he lives in the same place and no one has been charged for the incident.
3: The bullet hit my femur bone and then fractured into pieces. It was actually a shattering bullet. It shatters on impact. So if it hit me, possibly in my upper region, I could have died.
1: Did anyone sort of come to you and say, if you need need counseling or mental health, here's where you go?
3: No, definitely not. That's not really an option that's provided.
1: Did you feel like that would have helped or you needed that?
3: At the time of,
1: yeah, because
3: I remember at the time of getting shot, I was just really, just angry at the time. It's hard to see past what's happened to you at the moment. You know what I mean? Everybody just wants to, inflict as much pain on the next person as they've been inflicted on them.
7: We were born we were so round And you wonder why we around
1: This is the place where nine years ago Blackest Ninja was shot.
7: I think this is therapeutic for me. Kind of so coming
1: back here. Yeah, come back
7: here. Kept on running straight to um to the apartment and they pull the trigger again and boom. I got shot in the bottom of my ankle running, but I I feel pain constantly. You know, the after it healed up and I was walking better, the doctor said that you're gonna feel pain for the rest of your life.
1: Do you wish someone had had offered you counseling or support in that time? I
7: uh, maybe if uh, somebody came to talk to me at that vulnerable. Um, point in my life where I couldn't walk, and I, I would have to sit down and listen to and, and express myself. Maybe I would have handled things. Uh, I would be thinking of things different.
1: Even if he'd been offered psychological help and taken it, he worries he might have appeared weak to his friends.
7: You don't go in the block and, and you see the man You're like, yo, mandem I'm going for counseling. I need to go talk to this this psychiatrist. I mean, I just can't sleep at night. <laughs> Nobody does that. But I think that. I would have still taken it and just, you know, done it on a one-way, and that could have maybe even helped me a little more. I, I, but you know, it's it's so um, what it's what it is, right? How
1: are you, ready? I am very blessed. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. Okay. Thanks for making some time well, for welcome, welcome to my neck of the woods. You know, look. When we're talking about gunshots, people who yeah. survive gunshots, is there like a stigma for some of them to, to of go and get help? Of course. And listen, is that like... It's, it, not just,
8: it's not just for young men. In the black community, listen, people generally don't want to go and sit with a therapist or a counsellor and say, you know, I've got this problem.
1: Reverend Skystar travels around Toronto offering counselling for gunshot victims. She's a trained therapist but does this on her own time because, she says, no one else does.
8: There's no post-care. There's nothing that's available to say, oh, I know I can go. there. If I'm in a crisis in the middle of the night, people call me. Sky. I'm at this bridge. I'm here, and I'm thinking, oh, good God. This is what happens. They get suicidal. They have all these pent-up emotions. Of course the cycle is going to continue. Trauma is specific to the intensity and the long-term pain that stays with families. You know. So I respond to crisis, so when there's a shooting, Everything is here. I get in my car <laughs> and I go. I give people the permission to grieve and tell them it's okay. Hey, you can have one of this. I sign it at the end. This
1: I so it's a certificate
8: that this gives a certificate. you permission give to grieve. Give them the permission. Because some people are saying like, young man, you don't need to cry. I said, listen, buddy, you do need to cry. Let me tell you why. Well, you have to create situations that reach them, you know, where they are. So this is part of it.
1: Reverend Starr says when traumatic grief compounds, It festers. That's why she pushes the victims to speak.
8: I say everybody has emotions. And I say, unless you deal with the emotions, express them, release the heaviness that you're feeling, it comes out in frustration and anxiety and shootings and all of that stuff. This is what happens, because the emotions are not dealt with. So it's difficult to get them to come.
5: I thought uh, the guy that was celebrating the baby shower was letting firecrackers go for the baby shower. I didn't know it was gunshots until I seen everybody else start running.
1: When did you realize you'd actually been shot?
5: After I broke my femur trying to run. So it hit and it broke the femur but not completely. So I'm the one that broke it completely trying to run. Then I get another shot, then I know, okay, this is serious. Then I think I'm going to die at this moment Like I think death is coming.
1: To this day, Michael Fenty doesn't know who shot him in both legs. That's why he doesn't feel comfortable showing his face. What he does know, he wasn't the intended target.
5: I got a metal rod going through my femur, three screws in my knee, three screws in my hip. Uh, I got nerve damage in my left leg. My sciatic nerve is messed up, my tibula is broken.
1: Did someone sit down and talk to you and say, hey, this is what your life is gonna be like, or no. this is what is gonna be? No,
5: No help, rehab, therapy. I had to pay for that myself. Nobody came here to say, hey, this is a program that you can take to help you get help with whatever you're COVID or going through, like nothing. I got fired from two jobs, and I couldn't pay for therapy anymore. I almost got kicked out of this house. Uh, my credit card bills are up. I'm in debt because I couldn't work, because I didn't have an income coming in. If I didn't have a good landlord, I'd probably be homeless.
6: BOTH MEN WERE FOUND WITHOUT VITAL SIGNS WHEN POLICE ARRIVED AT A BIRTHDAY BARBECUE UNDERWAY FOR A FEMALE. SHE WAS SHOT IN THE TORSO AND TAKEN TO A TRAUMA CENTER IN CRITICAL CONDITION.
4: I DIDN'T EVEN KNOW I WAS REALLY SHOT UNTIL AFTER I WOKE UP FROM SURGERY. I LEARNED THAT
1: I WOULDN'T WALK AGAIN.
4: OKAY. SO YOU'RE GOING TO COME UP AND I'M GOING TO LOCK YOUR LEGS. GOOD.
1: ROCHELLE LEWIS STRUGGLES TO GET TO REHAB TWICE A WEEK. A SINGLE BULLET LEFT HER PARALYZED ON HER 28TH birthday she wasn't the intended target.
4: I know it wasn't going to be easy, especially living on my own, but I, I have to fend for myself.
8: Nice and slow. Wait.
4: There is no financial help with, um, with nice. physiotherapy, which it comes to my surprise, like, so what do we do after that? Like, what if there are people out there that cannot afford? Like, I max out my credit cards every okay. month now we're gonna go to pay for therapy. this. If I don't go to physio, you could only imagine that I do not get out of bed and I don't like that because then everything else gets to me, my mental health gets to me.
7: If you're young and black and you've got a mental health problem, you're more likely to get medication, you're more likely to be admitted to hospital and you're less likely to get psychotherapy.
1: Dr. Kwame McKenzie is a Toronto-based physician. He runs an institute that advocates for more equitable healthcare in urban communities.
7: So the literature from the states is really clear. People who have been victims of gun violence are more likely to be victimizers in the future, but it doesn't have to be that way. If there are proper psychological interventions, uh, we can stop that cycle. <laughs>
1: For Michael Fenty, the birth of his daughter 18 months ago gave him the strength to psychologically move past being shot.
5: That's my motivation right there, that little girl. I'll go through all this pain no problem. I'll go to work. I'm not going to let this stop me, like I survived it, thank God. So I gotta let this be my motivation to go forward now.
1: His hope that by speaking out, others won't have to suffer in silence the same way he did.
4: Well, that's telling fire, man, you know. I'm not a loser, man. I don't lose. I'm used to winning, man. I cook, I cook in here. I could cook easily for 100 people in this kitchen. Come back, everybody, to Tastiers with me, your host, Chef Smiley. That's why it's called Tastiers with Chef Smiley. <laughs> not just black pepper and salt like everybody do. A little black
1: pepper and salt, no. You want
4: it seasoned properly. Hey, Farrah, where you at?
1: Oh, yeah, I'm coming. Hey, come on in. Paul Smiley Evans didn't always cook from a wheelchair. He once stood 6 feet 4 inches tall and was a man about town, doing catering, photography and video.
4: And I ran my business uh, 25 years in the cooking game, 17 years, party, wedding, whatever. If I'm not in the kitchen, that's what I do. So I was was working, I was making my money, man. I was good, you know?
1: Six years ago, six bullets changed all that. Smiley was robbed at gunpoint for his jewelry at a party he was working at.
4: So I got the two bullets in my body, the one in the spine and one in the back. This one they can literally take out because this doesn't bother me. It's the one in the spine. I mean, I can do all the little, you know, this and that, right? Not by itself, but I can, I can go like this a little bit. But once it's on the floor, I can do whatever the case is, right? Two and a half weeks I was in ICU for. Two and a half weeks to fire. You couldn't even touch my left foot like this. I would lose my damn mind.
1: He didn't go through this ordeal alone. He was able to tap into government services and money to help him recover. He credits his family and friends, too, for their support.
4: Every day people's getting turned away. They're like who the hell is after they, they, the nurses and the, whoever was taking care of me. is like wow this guy knows everybody man. He's, you know the treatment that they were giving me even went up like a king. You know, understand you know what I'm saying?
1: Smiley's story is one of success but throughout the series we've brought you stories of people who've fallen through the cracks. What experts say is key. Vigorous aftercare that involves mental and physical support.
3: There's a lot of evidence that suggests that right after a person's been shot is the critical moment. This is the moment when all of these parties have to come together and visit a person in hospital and help them navigate this complicated and very difficult time in their life.
1: Ju Young Lee spent years exploring the long-term challenges gunshot victims face in Philadelphia. If
3: they don't have that kind of support and they don't have people helping them, they're much more likely to pick up a gun, they're much more likely to become a victim in a future crime and and henceforth the cycle of violence continues.
1: Smiley says he's made a smooth transition to physio. He was offered supports of all kinds to get where he is today. And the anger of being shot and partially paralyzed, he says, is gone.
4: My mind is strong. At the end of the day, I forgot all about. I, I forgot about that, you know. I let. I let. I let it go, really and truly. Everybody wanted to go after these guys. You know what I'm saying, right? I told my boys. I said, "Hey, not a drop of blood from them on your hands for me. No. See these guys? Don't put a hand on them, bro." And you know, I'm saying I need a, I need a clear conscience at the end of the day.
0: Now, before this episode is over, I would like to say that if you feel passionate about gun control, there are some organizations that are working for this matter. There's the Coalition for Gun Control. You can support them by going at guncontrol.ca and also the Anti-Gun Violence Activism Movement. That's from Toronto, and you can check them out at ZeroGunViolence-Movement.com. That's ZeroGunViolence-Movement.com. If you feel about passionate about this, uh, donate, uh, leave them a message, or try to support them any way you can. Peace.